Jeremiah's. For nearly three quarters of a century after the death of Isaiah's, no great prophet arose in Judah. It seemed as though the work of the religious leaders of the 8th century had been in vain. During the long and wicked reign of Manasseh, 693 to 639 BC, idolatrous worship was established more firmly than ever, and the morals of the people sank to the lowest ebb. The prophets of Jehovah who dared to raise their voices in protest and warning were either silenced or brutally murdered. It was only after a change for the better had been inaugurated under the successors of Manasseh that the men of God again came to the front and a second golden age of Hebrew prophecy began. It is the age of Jeremiah and Sophonius, Nahum at Habakkuk, Ezekiel and Daniel. The greatest of these, and at the same time the most Christ-like of all the prophets, was Jeremiah's. Jeremiah came of a priestly family whose estates lay in Anathoth, a town in the tribe of Benjamin, about two miles northeast of Jerusalem. He himself tells us how, in the thirteenth year of the reign of the pious king Josias, 626 BC, when he was still young and inexperienced, he was called to be a prophet to his people. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed thee in the womb of thy mother, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and made thee a prophet unto the nations. And I said, Ah, 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 Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And the Lord said to me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I shall command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid at their presence, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have given my words in thy mouth. Lo, I have set thee this day over the nations and over kingdoms, to root up and pull down, and to waste and destroy, and to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod watching. Then the Lord said to me, Thou hast seen well, for I will watch over my word to perform it. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a boiling cauldron, and the face thereof from the face of the north. And the Lord said to me, From the north shall an evil break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land, for behold, I will call together all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come, and shall set every one his throne in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, and upon all the walls thereof round about, and upon all the cities of Judah. And I will pronounce my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me, and have sacrificed to strange gods, and have adored the work of their own hands. Thou therefore... Gird up thy lawns and arise, and speak to them all that I command thee. Be not afraid at their presence, for I will make thee not to fear their countenance. For behold, I have made thee this day a fortified city, and a pillar of iron, and a wall of brass over all the land, to the kings of Judah, to the princes thereof, and to the priests, and to the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, 
and shall not prevail. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. With firm confidence in the protection of the Most High, Jeremiah began his career as a prophet and teacher of his people. It was a life of sacrifice to which he had been called. He had to sacrifice the joys of family life, so dear to every Hebrew, to remain unmarried, to go through life lonely, misunderstood and persecuted, even by his own kin, hated by those whom he loved and served, a man of strife, a man of contention to all the earth. God said to him again, What seest thou? And I said, I see a boiling cauldron, and the face thereof is from the north. A boiling cauldron aptly describes the condition of the eastern nations during the years which followed the call of Jeremiah's. Assyria was tottering to its fall. Scythian hordes were devastating the fair provinces of Asia Minor and threatening all the east with destruction. The Medes were mustering their armies to push westwards. The Chaldeans were thirsting for revenge against their ancient foe of Nineveh. Egypt was once again casting covetous eyes upon the fertile plains of Mesopotamia. Before long, all these armed nations would be set in motion. The little land of Judah lay between Egypt and Babylonia, the protagonists in the coming battle of giants, and it was doomed to be crushed unless God protected it. But would God protect it? Did it merit protection? Many religious-minded men themselves asked these anxious questions. God had destroyed Israel, the kingdom of Israel of the north, for its sins. Why should he spare Judah, which was filling to the brim the cup of iniquity? Jeremiah, foreseeing the approaching disaster, made the most passionate appeals to his people to turn from their wickedness while there was yet time. With admirable courage, he denounced the whole nation for its disloyalty to Jehovah, for its idol worship and its moral depravity. Always he speaks in the name of God. Thus saith the Lord, he said, My people have changed their glory into an idol. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, for my people have done two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have digged to themselves systems, broken systems, that can hold no water. Chapter 2 No words are too strong, no images bold and drastic, when the prophet wishes to bring home to the people the black ingratitude of their apostasy from the true God and his holy law. Again and again he interrupts his fiercest invectives to plead with his hearers to repent. Return, O rebellious Israel, return, you rebellious children. In God's name he promises mercy if only they will do penance. Wash thy heart from wickedness, O Jerusalem, that thou mayest be saved. But the prophet realises only too clearly that the people will not repent, no, not one. Go about through the streets of Jerusalem and see and consider, and seek in the broad places whereof, if you can find a man that executeth judgment and seeketh faith, and I will be merciful to the city. says God in chapter 5. Since no one is found to do penance, Jeremiah must, in spite of his deep reluctance, become the speaker for the just God and his inevitable judgment. 
Thus saith the Lord, Shall not my soul take revenge on such a nation? Scale the walls thereof, and throw them down. The prophet sees the whirlwind of God's judgment rushing down from the north. Woe is me, woe is me. My heart is troubled within me. I will not hold my peace, for my soul hath heard the sound of the trumpet, the cry of battle. Destruction upon destruction is called for, and all the earth is laid waste. My tents are destroyed on a sudden, and my pavilions in a moment. How long shall I see men fleeing away? How long shall I hear the sound of the trumpet? Thus saith the Lord, Behold, a people cometh from the land of the north, and a great nation shall rise up from the ends of the earth. They shall lay hold on arrow and shield. They are cruel and will have no mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea. And they shall mount upon horses prepared as men for war against thee, O daughter of Zion. We have heard the fame thereof. Our hands grow feeble. Anguish hath taken hold of us as a woman in labour. Go not out into the fields, nor walk in the highway, for the sword of the enemy and fear are on every side. Gird thee with sackcloth, O daughter of my people, and sprinkle thee with ashes. Make thee mourning, for, as an only son, a bitter lamentation, because the destroyer shall suddenly become upon us. In the year 621, Josias began his great work of reform, the full story of which is told in the fourth book of Kings. This good king's reformation was, however, neither thorough nor lasting. No sooner had the pious king lost his life in the battle of Negebo against the pharaoh Necho than the people fell back into their old sins and superstitions. After the short reign of Jokas, Necho placed Jehoiakim, the son of Josias, on the throne as his vassal. With Jehoiakim's accession begins the second period of Jeremiah's activity. It was on the coronation day of the new king, on New Year's Day 608. Crowds of people were flocking to the temple to celebrate the occasion. The enthusiasm of the worshippers knew no bounds. Pharaoh Necho had spared the temple. And as long as the temple stood, all seemed to be well. Cries of, the temple of God, the temple of God, were heard on all sides, while thousands of victims were slain in the temple courts. Jeremiah had mingled with the festive throng. Suddenly, as he stood in the great gate of the temple, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he boldly denounced the corruption and the crimes of the people and their leaders their vain reliance on the protection of the temple and the disaster that was sure to come upon them unless they repented. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Make your ways and your goings good, and I will dwell with you in this place. Trust not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You put your trust in lying words which shall not profit you, to steal, to murder, to commit adultery, to swear falsely, to offer incense to Baalim, and to go after strange gods which you know not. And you have come and stood before me in this house, in which my name is called upon, and have said, 
we are delivered because we have done all these abominations. Is this house then in which my name has been called upon in your eyes become a den of robbers? Go ye to my place in Silo, where my name dwelt from the beginning, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I have spoken to you, rising up early and speaking, and you have not heard, and I have called you, and you have not answered, I will do to this house, in which my name is called upon, and in which you trust, and to the place which I have given you and your fathers, as I did to Silo. And I will cast you away from before my face, as I have cast away all your brethren, the whole seed of Ephraim. Therefore, do not thou pray for this people, nor take to thee praise and supplication for them, and do not withstand me, for I will not hear thee. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead the dough, and make cakes to the Queen of Heaven, the goddess Ashtoreth, and to offer libations to strange gods, and to provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Is it not to themselves to the confusion of their own countenance? Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my wrath and my indignation is enkindled against this place, upon men and upon beasts, and upon the trees of the field, and upon the fruits of the land, and it shall burn, and shall not be quenched. We can imagine the fury of the priests and the people at this prediction of the approaching ruin of this temple and of the city. The prophet had scarcely ceased speaking when they rushed upon him, shouting, Let him be put to death. Why hath he prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Silo, and this city shall be made desolate without an inhabitant? Attracted by the tumult, the officers of the king appear in the temple. The accusations against him are renewed, and he is promptly condemned to death. However, Jeremiah is undismayed. Like a pillar of iron and a wall of brass, he faces the infuriated mob of court officials, priests, false prophets and temple employees. He is the spokesman of God. This is his only defence. And he says, The Lord sent me to prophesy concerning this house and concerning this city and all the words which you have heard. Now, therefore, amend your ways and your doings and hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and the Lord will repent him of the evil which he has spoken against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me what is good and right in your eyes. But know ye and understand that if you put me to death, you will shed innocent blood against your own selves and against the city and the inhabitants thereof. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. Chapter 26. The prophet's words made a deep impression upon the princes and the ancients of the land, as well as on many of the people. There is no judgment of death for this man, they declared, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. One of the princes, Aikam, the son of Saphan, was especially prominent in defence of Jeremiah, that he should not be delivered into the hands of the people to be put to death. In the fourth year of Joachim, 
Jeremiah received the command to take a roll and write therein all the words which God had spoken to him against Israel and Judah and against all the nations from the days of Josiah's onward. So Jeremiah called his, his scribe Baruch, the son of Enarias, and dictated them to him. In the following year, in the ninth month, Baruch read the contents of the roll publicly before the people at the gate leading to the upper court of the temple. King Joachim, being informed about what Baruch was doing, ordered the roll to be brought to him and read before him. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a hearth before him full of burning coals. And when Yudi, the son of Nathanias, had read three or four passages of the volume, he cut it with a penknife and he cast it into the fire that was upon the hearth until all the volume was consumed with the fire that was on the hearth. And the king commanded Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet to be taken up, but the Lord hid them. In chapter 20, uh, 36. After the volume had been thus destroyed, Jeremiah was directed to rewrite its contents in another role. And Jeremiah took another volume and gave it to Baruch the son of Nerias the scribe, who wrote in it, from the mouth of Jeremiah, all the words which, of the book which Joachim, the king of Judah, had burned with fire. And they were added besides many more words than had been before. The remainder of Joachim's reign was a period of great mental and physical suffering for Jeremiah. He felt like a hunted animal. Wherever he appeared, he was mocked at and derided. He was always predicting ruin, the people said. But his threats did not come true. He must be an impostor. He went home to Anathoth, his old, uh, his old residence, hoping no doubt to find sympathy and kind words there, if anywhere. But his reputation had preceded him, and he found himself in the thick of a conspiracy against his life. His courage, however, remained undaunted, and his sensitive spirit suffered grievously under the heavy burden which the hand of God had laid upon him. He uttered without reserve the emotions aroused within him. At one time he expresses his perplexity at the disorder of the world and the prosperity of the wicked. Thou indeed, O Lord, art just, if I plead with thee, but yet I will speak what is just to thee. Why doth the way of the wicked prosper? Why is it well with all them that transgress and do wickedly? Again he breaks forth into bitter complaints, calls for vengeance against his persecutors, even wishes that he had never been born. Woe is me, my mother! Why hast thou borne me, a man of strife, a man of contention to all the earth? Why is my sorrow become perpetual, and my wound desperate, so as to refuse to be healed? These are the words of one whose soul is sorrowful even unto death. Only the consciousness that he is the spokesman of God comforts him in his affliction and gives him strength to follow the call of duty. His very name, Jeremiah, which means God's sins, is symbolical of his mission. Thy name is upon me, O Lord God of hosts, he cries out trustingly. Thou art my hope in the day of affliction. Jeremiah longed to turn away from his thankless task 
of attempting to lead his people to better things. But his great spirit could not keep silence. Love for his country and his desire to save it, he describes as a burning fire within him. At the command of God, he goes to the potter's house, buys a large earthen vessel, calls the ancients of the people to Gala and leads them down into the valley of Himmon. There he dashes the vessel to the ground, breaking it into a thousand pieces, and cries out with a voice of thunder, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Even so will I break this people and this city as a potter's vessel is broken, which cannot be made whole again. And they shall be buried in Topheth, because there is no other place to bury in. Thus will I do to this place, saith the Lord, and to the inhabitants thereof, and I will make this city as Topheth, which is a place in the valley of Himmon. From Topheth, Jeremiah led the people back to the temple, where he repeated his denunciations in the hearing of all the priests. An infuriated temple officer struck Jeremiah in the face, and had him placed in the stocks until the following morning. After his release, the prophet pronounced upon the entire nation formal sentence of exile to Babylon. The prophet's prediction began to be fulfilled almost immediately. In the year 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar defeated Nico, the pharaoh of Egypt, at the Battle of Sharchamius on the Euphrates. Syria fell into the hands of the Babylonians. Jerusalem paid the penalty for its vassalage to Egypt. The city was besieged and many captives were taken off to Babylon, among them the prophet Daniel. Joachim was forced to transfer his allegiance from Egypt to Babylon. He paid tribute for several years. Then he revolted, but died before he suffered the consequences of his folly in the year 598 BC. King Joachim was succeeded by his 18-year-old son Jeconias, who reigned only for three months, when he was carried away to Babylon with his chief men and the craftsmen and the engravers. The city and the temple were looted of their treasures, and Jeremiah was heartbroken. My soul shall weep in secret for your pride, weeping it shall weep, and my eyes shall run down with tears, because the flock of the Lord is carried away captive. Sedechias, the eldest son of Josias, was placed on the throne by Nebuchadnezzar, to whom he was made to swear a solemn oath of allegiance. From this time onward, Jeremiah took an active part in the political life of the nation. He plainly saw that in quiet submission to Babylon lay the only possibility of saving the city from complete destruction, and he devoted all his energy to keeping Sedechias faithful to his oath. Once, when attempts were made by the neighbouring nations to induce Sedechias to join them in a league for the purpose of revolting from Babylon and allying himself to Egypt, Jeremiah walked through the streets of the city with a yoke on his neck, crying, The nation that shall not bend its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon I will visit upon that nation with the sword, and with famine and with pestilence, saith the Lord, till I consume them by his hand. But the nation that shall bend down their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, and shall serve him, I will let them remain in their own land. Chapter 27 
When Hananias, a false prophet, broke his, this yoke, Jeremiah said to him, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast broken chains of wood, and thou shalt make for them chains of iron. The exhortations of Jeremiah were in vain. Sedekiah, a tool in the hands of his own princes, broke with Babylon and entered into negotiations with the pharaoh Hophra. The consequences were inevitable. In the tenth year of the reign of Zedekiah, in 588 BC, Jeremiah tells us the armies of Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem. Jeremiah counseled surrender, but at the instigation of the princes, he was thrown into prison. Set free, he attempted to retire to his native Anathoth. He was apprehended as a deserter and cast into a subterranean dungeon and later on into a cistern filled with mire. However, he was saved from death by an Ethiopian officer of the king's household, but kept chained and under guard in the court of the prison. Zedekiah summoned him secretly to the palace in the hope of obtaining some favourable message from God. But the prophet told him only that the Lord of hosts commanded him, If thou wilt take a resolution and go out to the princes of the king of Babylon, thy soul shall live, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and thou shalt be safe and thy house. But if thou wilt not go out to the princes of the king of Babylon, this city shall be delivered into the hands of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and thou shalt not escape out of their hands. Chapter 38 In mortal fear of his princes, the king allowed the siege to go on until a breach was finally made in the walls, and the troops of Nebuchadnezzar poured into the city. Zedekiah and his bodyguard escaped under cover of the night through the royal gardens. The Chaldeans pursued them, and they took Zedekiah in the plain of the desert of Jericho and brought him to Nakabadonazar, the king of Babylon, who was at Rebla, and he gave judgment upon him. And the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and he slew all the nobles of Judah, and he also put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And the Babylonians burned the king's house and the houses of the people, and they threw down the walls of Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the general of the army, carried away captive to Babylon the, rem the remnant of the people, but he left some of the poor people in the land of Judah. Jeremiah was amongst those who remained in the ruined city. Nebuchadnezzar had given orders to liberate him from prison and to let him go where he pleased. He was offered a home and all the comforts of life in Babylon, but he preferred to cast in his lot with the poorest of his countrymen in desolated Judah. His friend Godelias was appointed governor by Nebuchadnezzar. Peace and order were gradually returning. Planting and sowing was resumed. All this promise of better days came to a sudden end when God Elias and many of his sympathizers were murdered by Ishmael, a descendant of David. Fearing that they would all be held responsible by Nebuchadnezzar, the remaining leaders resolved to flee into Egypt for safety. Jeremiah protested against this step. If you set your faces to go into Egypt, he told them, and enter into dwell there, 
The sword which you feel shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. But they were obstinate. As for the word which thou hast spoken to us in the name of the Lord, they answered, We will not hearken to thee. So they fled into Egypt, and they forced Jeremiah and his faithful secretary Baruch to accompany them. They settled in various parts of the land. In Taphnis we meet Jeremiah for the last time. He is faithful to his mission to the end. Although old and spent with suffering, he did not fail to lift up his voice against those who fell into idolatry and offered incense to the Queen of Heaven, Astarte, and to predict their speedy extermination. According to a Jewish tradition, he was stoned to death by his fellow exiles in Egypt whilst literally laying down his life for his enemies. On the ever-memorable day when Jeremiah was first called to the prophetical office, God said to him, Lo, I have set thee this day over the nations, to root up and pull down, to build and to plant. We have seen how he carried out the first part of his commission. How did he accomplish the second part? The answer to this question will show us Jeremiah at the height of his prophetic career. It will show us that not pessimism and despair, but rather optimism and hope are the keynote of his teaching. In his letters to the exiles in Babylon, he counsels patience under trial and assures them that God will hear the prayers which they offer in a strange land because he responds everywhere to those who seek him with their whole hearts. While Jerusalem was being besieged and he himself was held in confinement, Jeremiah composed a series of songs of exquisite beauty and tenderness, which have been justly called the crown of all his writings and the climax of all Hebrew prophecy, in chapters 30 to 33. God's love for Israel and Israel's restoration and elevation to a glory and grandeur undreamed of by poet or seer is a theme that runs through them like a thread of gold. I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore have I drawn thee, taking pity on thee. Chapter 31 Israel will not wholly perish, but in due time Jerusalem will be rebuilt and ruled again by a prince of David's house, whose name shall be called Our Lord, Our Just One. Ephraim also shall be restored, and enjoy the blessings of the Messianic kingdom with his brother Judah. Rachel, the mother of Ephraim, is watching from her tomb at Ramah, and tenderly bewailing the desolation of her children. But the mother may stay her tears. Ephraim will yet show penitence and be saved. A voice was heard of high lament, on high of lamentation, of mourning and weeping, of Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comfort for them because they are not. Let thy voice cease from weeping and thy eyes from tears, for there is a reward for thy work, saith the Lord, and they shall return out of the land of the enemy. Then follows the great prophecy of the new covenant, which is to consist in a law written on the hearts of men. Behold, the day shall come, saith the Lord, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the days that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, the covenant 
which they made void, and I had dominion over them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will give my law in their bowels, and I will write it in their heart, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbour, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them even to the greatest, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah exercised a paramount influence on the fortunes of the Hebrew race. His spirit can clearly be traced in the sacred writings composed after the captivity, in the wisdom books as well as in the works of Esdras and Nehemiah, the later Psalms and the books of the Maccabees. He lived on above all in the hearts of the people. They gratefully remembered that it was Jeremiah who, after the destruction of Jerusalem, had hidden the tabernacle and the ark and the altar of incense in a mountain cave. They saw him, the great intercessor, ever standing in the sight of Jehovah to speak good for them and to turn away his indignation from them. At a critical moment in their history, when they were fighting with their backs to the wall for their very existence as a nation, as the chosen people, against the tyranny of Antiochus, Jeremiah appeared to their leader, Judas Maccabeus, and gave him a sword of gold, saying, Take this holy sword, a gift of God, wherewith thou shalt overthrow the adversaries of thy people Israel. Second book of Maccabees. Whilst he lived on earth, his heart was found free from sin. Now he dwells in the glory of the invisible world, environed with great beauty and majesty. And he will appear on earth again in the last days with Elias and the other heroes of Israel. For when the Son of Man came, while some thought him Elias and others John the Baptist risen from the dead, there were others who thought him to be Jeremiah. All the prophets says Cardinal Newman, were types of the great prophet, our Lord Jesus Christ, whose way they were preparing. But Jeremiah is the most exact type of Christ among them, typifying him who came and wept over Jerusalem and then was tortured and put to death by those he wept over.